You're listening to Ottawa's Baseball Show. It's Around the Diamond with Diamond Dante and Mike Nellis on CKDJ 107.9, home of the Ottawa Champions. Welcome to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. I am Diamond Dante running this show solo as uh, Mr. Mike Nellis is actually in Nunavut refing hockey, so all the best to him. I am sure he's listening back there. But other than that, uh, this show is going to have tons of exclusive with interviews out the wazoo, starting with Mike Kasavich. He's going to talk about the minor leagues and his playing career. Then we're going to flip over to the AL Central Review. Got special guests from the Kansas City Royals coming on to talk about the AL Central. We're going to break that one all the way down. But to start off, myself and Mike were at the Ottawa Champions press conference uh, earlier in the week to talk about the Cuban national team coming to Ottawa. They're going to play a exhibition game. We're going to have all that for you, starting off with Brandon Moy sitting down with David Gourley, the president of the Ottawa Champions Baseball Club. Have a listen. First question, um, why is this an important thing for the city of Ottawa? Well, this is really about the growth of the Ottawa Champions brand in our second year. The Can-Am League, we're very fortunate Can-Am League is arranged for the Cuban national team as well as the Japanese uh, independent all-star team to come to Ottawa. So this is really about expanding our fan base. Uh, and, you know, we've got so many excited fans in the city of Ottawa who are looking forward to seeing what is a very prominent uh, member of the baseball community. Um, as, as everybody knows by now, yesterday Major League Baseball announced the Tampa Bay Rays will be playing this very team with President Obama watching in Florida. So this is really exciting for our fans. Um, what should, why should fans come out other than, you know, it's baseball and it's fun to Because they're seeing professionals, not only in the Ottawa Champions, but they're seeing Cuban professional baseball players who, you know, competed World Baseball Classic, compete day in and day out. Cuba, as everybody knows, is a hub of professional baseball. It's a fun environment as well. And we're going to put on a good show. We're going to have some Cuban-themed food. Uh, the ambassador will be there. Cuban, the members of the Cuban, Cuban community will be there as well. So I think for our fans, this is more than just just you know kind of the run of the mill teams that are coming through which people can see at any time this kind of adds an, an exciting element to it is there any players on Cuba that people should watch out for. Well, I, I'm not sure that there are actually any major leaguers uh, or former major leaguers. Um, we've kind of gone through the roster. That are, there are not names that jump out off the page. But again, uh, the level of talent, uh, the level of competition will be extremely fierce. Uh, we're expecting our guys to compete with them. Uh, we certainly hope that they will. And again, this is about the, the caliber of baseball that we're providing to our fan base. Uh, in the future, do you think you can continue something like this? We certainly hope so. That's the plan. Uh, discussions I've had with the Can-Am commissioner, who happens to be our owner as well, as well as league officials and my counterparts across the league and American Association indicate that this is something we hope will, will expand to really give baseball that international flavor. Yeah, David had some great stuff to say. I'm really excited about the Cuban national team coming to Ottawa. But coming up next, Mike and I had a chance to scrum Miles Wolf, the commissioner and owner of the Ottawa champions, as well as Sebastian Boucher and the Ottawa mayor, Jim Watson, about the Cuban national team coming to Ottawa. Stay tuned and have a listen. Uh, last year, of course, Shikuku Island came through, and uh, I was just wondering how much that series uh, played into uh, getting another team uh, from another country coming in here. Well, it played a lot because it worked. You know, again, we didn't know how do you bring a foreign team in and make them part of your league and is that going to work? I mean, there were so many questions, but it went very well. Again, they played a different style of baseball. 
really small, small ball, but our fans liked it. So when it looked like we could get both the Cuban and the Japanese team, well, let's do it. You know, I mean, it's something different, unique, and we think uh, you know it'll be good for baseball. What about um, you know, and, and what was behind the decision of including them? Uh, in the standings, like, or and as part of the league, like, is it just a question of making sure that they are, um, you know, they feel that they're at home when they're playing here and that their games are meaningful? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it were exhibition games and weren't in the standings, well, maybe some of our teams wouldn't put their best pitcher in. Um, you know, I mean, it's, you know, the competition. I think on the. You know, Can Am side, each team will maybe stack their roster so they're playing the Cubans with the best players they can. Uh, so just to have it as an exhibition series is not as significant as having it part of the regular season. Mr. Mayor, this is a, it's a, it's a historic announcement. As you mentioned, it's the first time in over 60 years that a Cuban team will play in Ottawa. So right. what does that mean for baseball here? Well, it's great for baseball because, you know, uh, now that the, you know, we don't have the Expos and haven't had them for some time, uh, it's been hard to attract sort of national interest in baseball locally. This will do it, you know, to have the Cuban national team that will have played um, a major baseball league team earlier in the year is great news for Ottawa, it's great news for sport, and it's great news for tourism. Yeah, well, what do you think of that announcement yesterday with, uh, obviously, you know, the Cubans are going to be playing the Tampa Bay Rays. That has to help this announcement a lot. It does, and, and the very fact that President Obama is going to watch uh, the teams play uh, adds another element of excitement, I think. You know, we're seeing a thawing in relations between the United States and Cuba, the opening of their embassies, uh, the fact that these uh, this team, which is a high-caliber team, is going to be uh, playing in Ottawa and Quebec City and Trois-Rivières is great for the Can-Am League as well. Now, um, this team is entering its second season, um, and I, I haven't actually gotten to talk to you since the team got here. So um, just evaluate how successful the champions have been so far for us. Well, I think they did very well in attendance. They surpassed what they anticipated they were going to bring in. We had some games that had over four or 5,000 fans. Uh, we had a couple of weather challenges on Canada Day when they were going to play the Japanese team. But that's Canada. You can't always have good weather. Uh, but uh, I think uh, it's going to grow even greater in the years ahead because we're going to have the LRT station right there where people are going to be able to come from the east end, west end, get off uh, right at the Via Rail station across the bridge uh, and be five minutes away from some great baseball. Yeah. And, and Mayor, uh, is this the highest point in baseball in Ottawa or will we see more events coming here in the nation's capital? My hope is that we're going to be able to see more of these kinds of events. I'd love to see the Blue Jays come, obviously, yeah. and play the champions. I think that would be uh, the ultimate uh, yeah. game that would you know pack the stadium with 10,000 people. So um, you know, those are the kinds of things you strive for, but I think this is a great uh, initiative that the ambassador and the Cuban community have brought to Ottawa, and we're looking forward June 17th to 19th to welcome the Cuban national team. And you mentioned the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, Mr. Mayor. That that run last year really seemed to captivate the country. We were talking about that on the radio before. That has to be big for baseball, not only in Toronto but in Ottawa and the rest of Canada as well. It is. You know, they're they're Canada's team now. Uh, they're the only team, and I think it certainly will do nothing but help uh, attendance and help interest in the sport. Um, you know, and, and we're we're proud of obviously how far the the Blue Jays went. Obviously, didn't go as far as we like them to go, but the very fact that they did as well as they did with their sort of written off at the beginning of the year, they really pulled it together and did a great job. 
it's a big announcement here for, for baseball in Ottawa. Um, we haven't seen a Cuban team here, as the mayor said, in over uh, 60 years. So it's, it's big for baseball in the city. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's exciting. Like, uh, whenever you play against an international team and whenever you have that international uh, challenge involved, it's always exciting. It's always uh, fun to represent your country. And the way we're doing it, you know, we're Canadian teams playing against the Cuban national team. So we're still representing Canada. And as representative of Canada, it's always special. Now, Seb, how are you going to prepare to play in such a tough team, especially in pitching there? Uh, definitely the same way that we we go about every 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 game. I mean, we uh, we prepare very well with uh, the way we uh, set up our players and see their strategies and different strategies how we're gonna uh, go with uh, if we're gonna be aggressive or not. So uh, we always prepare the same way, and we're gonna do the same. Mind mind you, we're still gonna have that competitive edge where we're gonna try to uh, get as much info from other teams as possible before we face. Them. Yeah, it's got to be big that you're not the first team playing them uh, for, for that reason. But how, how much of a difference does it make that these are meaningful regular season games rather than just an exhibition series? Well, for us, it makes it more exciting. I mean, they're, they're, they have value. So it's not just uh, have fun and we're, we're there to win yeah. and they're there to win. So they want to have a good showing and we want to definitely have a good showing as well because it affects us in our, in our standing. So uh, we definitely want to... Uh, we definitely want to perform at the highest capabilities as we can. Um, how how will this uh, event help baseball grow in Ottawa or even in the area itself? Well, it's helping out. Uh, I think if with the media coverage that we're getting from this. Uh, it's going to get baseball talked about a little bit more in the city. And at the same time, it's giving the, the champions and the Can-Am League a little bit more credibility where it was lacking before. Everybody wants the, the AAA team or the AA team to come back. But uh, they see with, with this event that, uh, you know, the Can-Am League is just as good and it's just as competitive. And for an international team to come here, international team like Cuba to come here, uh, definitely gives us that credibility. Yeah, Cuba's got the credibility as well. And, and you know, you mentioned before that, that you've played against Cuban national teams before. What's their style of play, and how does it differ from what you'd expect in a regular Ken League game? Well, they play... They play their own style of, uh, of, of baseball. I mean, in the past years, I don't know recently how they're how they've if they've changed or adapted. Yeah. But uh, they play for the one run, whereas the American style, you play for the the big inning. So uh, right there is a difference of opinions on how the the game goes about. But uh, both teams have to adapt. Pitching is more uh, you get the job done now, or else we'll find somebody else. And yeah. and they're used to playing every game meaningful every game is meaningful every game is do or die whereas uh on our side is more well we play for today but we also have to think about tomorrow so that makes a big difference in their style of play compared to ours you're listening to around the diamond home of ottawa champions baseball Star, you fade away, afraid our aim is out of 
Welcome back to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 1079, Ottawa's new music. I am Diamond Dante. Joined now on the phone with Max Reaper, who is the editor for Royals Review, which is a baseball blog affiliation of a sports blog site called SB Nation. Now, Max, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's great to talk about baseball today. Yes, and absolutely. And uh, to start off, we're going to do AL Central review, of, uh, your top five. Now, Max, who do you think is going to finish one to five in this division? Well, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a, an open division. I think for a long time, people overlooked the Central and they thought it was a weak division. But I think uh, I think they've kind of proven that a pretty good division. I mean, they produced the last two pennant winners with the Royals. Mm-hmm. And so I think the Royals are going to be in the mix. I think they, they're, they're probably the, the slight favorite to repeat as uh, the division champion. Um, I like what they did this offseason, kind of keeping the team together, bringing back Alex Gordon, uh, bringing Ian Kennedy in to replace Johnny Cueto and the starting pitching staff. So I think, and the fact they retained so much of their nucleus, I think uh, is going to keep them as a favorite in that division. Finishing behind them, I think, you know, the Tigers are probably going to be in the mix. I know they had such Mm -hmm. a a rough season last year, losing 89 games, and their starting pitching was the worst in in the league last year. But, you know, they picked up Jordan Zimmerman, who I liked, uh, yeah. They gave him a lot of money, but he's a, he's a really solid pitcher for them. I like some of the guys they got in the David Price deal last year, mm-hmm. like Daniel Norris and Matt Boyd, and they added Justin Upton to what was already a really good lineup. Yep. Um, I still have a lot of questions about their bullpen, though, so um, I, I see them finishing second. Uh, Indians, I think, are still a good young team that can um, will, will probably be uh, probably a step below the Tigers just because their offense uh, is, not, yeah. uh, is missing some pieces. I mean, they're, they're going to be without... Michael Brantley to start the year uh, with a shoulder injury, but I like what I like the rotation a lot. I think it's one of the best rotations in baseball. There are a bunch of guys that can strike hitters out with Corey Kluber, Danny Salazar, and Trevor Bauer, and they upgraded their defense quite a bit this year uh, with Francisco Lindor, uh, who was a great rookie for them last year. Yep. He's going to have more time at shortstop this year, and they made, they made some other moves to kind of upgrade the defense, but it wasn't as big of an offseason as I thought they would have. And then, so, and then Chicago, the Chicago White Sox, you know, they made some okay moves getting Todd Frazier, but I still have a lot of questions about their defense and their bullpen. And I think bringing up the rear of the show will be the Twins, who were a great story last year. Uh, and I think they're a well-coached team, and they've got some good young pieces. They don't quite have the pitching yet. I think the pitching will come in the next year or two. And they're kind of a good young team to keep your, your eye on. I think they're, they're probably following the Royals model of taking a young nucleus and developing them. And so I think in a couple of years, you could see them as a real contender in the American League, but they're not quite ready yet. Yeah, absolutely, Max. You actually uh, listed out the com- my complete list that I had listed out uh, you know, a couple minutes ago. And, uh, of course, since you write for the Royals and they are the clear favorite to win the division, we're going to start off with Kansas City and uh, touch on uh, key points from them. Some losses uh, that they had in the offseason. Johnny Cueto, a big one. Uh, then behind him, Ben Zolris, Ryan Madison, and Alex Rios. Doesn't look like he's going to re-sign. Some key additions, Ian Kennedy and Joachim Story, who's going to be joining the team once again, uh, coming back to his former team. Their lineup looks pretty good this year, and I think they're a clear favorite, and boy, does their boy bullpen look good. Um, one question that I do have is, will Mike Moustakis repeat? Yeah, he was, a, he was a huge plus for the Royals last year because you know, we almost forget how bad he was in 2014. And he was yeah. one of the worst hitters in baseball that year, and he came into 2015 with a changed approach. He was going to getting baffled all the time when uh, he'd look out in the defense and he'd have these radical shifts on him. Everyone on the field was on the right side of the field because that's where he was hitting all the time. So in 2015, he said, well, i got to start hitting the ball the opposite way a little bit more. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys say that, but he actually took it to heart. 
Uh, and he had you know, the, the results were amazing. I mean, he, he hit well from day one and uh, was an outstanding hitter for the Royals. That was a huge plus for the Royals because they've been waiting for this guy to be a really solid third baseman for several years. So, you know, I, I, I saw a much different approach from him last year. Um, I thought maybe he drifted into some bad habits as the season went on, but he really he really finished the season strong. So I think that'll carry over into 2016 as well, and the Royals will need that. Yeah, and another question mark going into the to the regular season is: Can Yordano Ventura improve and be a lot better than he, he was? He's, uh, you know, has a little bit of a bad attitude. Has been sent up and down. Played pretty good in the playoffs. Uh, your thoughts on Ventura? Yeah, Ventura was kind of derailed early on by some of the shenanigans he had with dust-ups of Mike Trout and the Oakland Athletics. <laughs> and, yeah, it was kind of a it's just a sign of his immaturity, I think. But in the second half, he really came on strong. And uh, if you, when you look back at his numbers, actually, in the first half, he was actually plagued by a lot of bad luck on balls in play. I mean, he was still getting strikeouts. He was still throwing with that velocity in the upper 90s. He just wasn't getting good results. So I think the second half was much more indicative of what he's capable of. Um, so I would expect that to carry over. And I think the Royals will really need him to step it up because their starting pitching last year was actually a pretty big weak spot for them. Yeah, um, for sure. They were fourth worst in the league in ERA out of starting pitchers, but they had such a great bullpen it didn't really matter. Well, I don't know if they're going to be able to rely on that formula again this year. I think they need okay. a guy like Ventura to kind of step up and be at least uh, you know less, at least a really good all-star caliber pitcher for them to, to really succeed next year because the, the rest of the starting pitching staff is, is okay. I mean, they've got some good depth. I mean, they certainly have eight or nine guys that you feel comfortable throwing out there, but they don't have the kind of arms that you're used to seeing carry other teams, guys like, you know, like Corey Cleaver with the Indians or Justin Verlander with the Tigers or you know, names like that that can really carry a team. So I think Ventura needs to step, take a step forward, mature yeah. a little bit. And he certainly got the step to be a frontline pitcher, though. Yeah, absolutely, Max. Couldn't agree more. Um, you know, their bullpen is their strongest point. Their starting pitching uh, could be a little bit better this year, and I think their offense is going to step up a little bit more. But now we're going to shift over to the Tigers, who we both of us have slotted to winning or to be coming second in the division. Um, some big additions this offseason: Justin Hup- Upton, Jordan Zimmerman, and Mister K Rod, who came over from Milwaukee. Uh, some big additions. Do you think the Tigers could do a little bit more damage this year, maybe a wild-card spot? Well, I think they'll be a much improved team and one of the more improved teams in the league. The problem is they have such a long way to come back from them. They, they lost 89 games last year, like I said, and, and, the, starting, and the, the, the starting pitching was atrocious. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think the pitching will be much better, but the bullpen's been kind of a weak spot the last couple of years. I mean, we've seen a lot of leads for them just implode. And they did add K-Rod, which was, you know, getting on in years. We'll have to see how much he has left in the tank. They did add a nice piece in Justin Wilson in the middle of a lever. I like Mark Lowell K. Oh, yeah. It's, when, you, when you look at the bullpen compared to some of the other top bullpens, like the Royals and the Yankees, and, uh, you know, even the Astros have a pretty good bullpen, even though they had some problems at the end of last year. I mean, the Tigers' bullpen just doesn't stack up. And yeah. I think that's going to continue to be their weakness. Now, maybe they make a move mid-season to address that, but... As it stands right now, they seem like a team that's going to score a lot of runs, but could end up blowing a lot of leads late as well. Absolutely, Max. Uh, you look at their lineup, Ian Kinsler looks like he's going to lead off, followed by Justin Upton, Miguel Cabrera, Victor Martinez, and even J.D. Martinez, who was a huge surprise for the Tigers after they picked him up a couple years ago off waivers from the Astros. But other than that, I want to go to their rotation. A little bit shaky, it looks like. Justin Verlander looks like their ace once again, followed by Jordan Zimmerman, Annabelle Sanchez, and then Daniel Norris, their fifth starter, is probably going to be go down to a spring training battle. Talk about their starting rotation, below average in my opinion. 
Yeah, there's a lot of question marks there for sure. I mean, Verlander had some major struggles at the beginning of last year, and you know, he had some signs of improvement. At, he's not quite the pitcher he once was in his prime. And Anibal Sanchez has had injury problems, and I think I heard today there, there are already some question marks about whether or not he's going to be ready to start the spring training schedule. So he's not a he's not a guarantee for 30 starts. And then you know, I said I like Daniel Norris and Matt Boyd, but they're young they're young guys. You don't know what you're going to get with them yeah. in their first go around in a full season in the majors. So. Yeah, I think there are a lot of question marks there, and, and you know it's a team that's going to score a lot of runs. But uh, and their defense, I think, has gotten a little bit better. But, yeah, I, I just don't know if that starting pitching is going to be enough to take them to the postseason. And now we're going to get to the Indians, who are slotted third in our in our rankings, and they added Rajay Davis, uh, you know, from a division rival, uh, Mike Napoli. You know, some small additions in uh, Juan Uribe and Tommy Hunter. Their lineup is a little bit underrated. Going into this season, um, what do you think is going to really going to come out of them offensively? I just seem like they were primed to be like one big move away from being like a serious, serious contender, or even a favorite in the league this year. And it just seemed like their off season was just kind of a, a disappointment. Uh, I mean, they made some okay moves. I, I like Mike Napoli for them. He plays good defense at first. He gets Carlos Santana off the field and into the DH position, where yeah. I think that will improve the defense a lot for them. They moved uh, third baseman Lonnie Chisenhall to the outfield, which will be a lot better for them because he was not very good at third base. A uh, little more juice. Uh, they almost got Todd Frazier in a trade. That I think would have helped them out a lot, but ultimately they didn't make that deal. So, you know, I agree. I think the offense is a little underrated. I think it's a pretty good offense. I, I, I love the starting rotation. The bullpen's pretty good, but I still think they're kind of like a piece or two away from being like a big-time contender in the American League. Now we're going to switch over to the White Sox, who did end up adding uh, Todd Frazier in the offseason, a big addition there. Uh, they also added Brett Laurie, Alex Avila, and Matt Latos, who had a very down season after you know, he was traded to Miami with so much promise to bring them to the postseason. Some losses. Jeff Samardra was not really that good last season, and uh, Alexi Ramirez as well. Uh, what do you see from the White Sox this season? They did sign Jimmy Rollins uh, a couple weeks ago. But you know, they're a tough team to figure out. I mean, I just... I, I like the Frazier trade for them. I think, you know, having him at third base will not only help their lineup quite a bit, but he's actually a pretty good defender, and their team that was pretty terrible defensively yeah. last year. But but when they do that, they also move Brett Laurie, who they acquired in the offseason. They move him over from third to second base, and then they move their starting third baseman last year, Tyler Saladino, from third to shortstop. So it seems moving all those guys around the diamond will hurt their defense quite a bit. And this, you know, when you look at their defense, you have Jose Abreu at first, and Melky Cabrera and Avi Garcia in the corners, the outfield, looks like a team that's going to allow a lot of you know line drives to fall for base hits and, and make a lot of errors out there. So I, I don't I don't get what they were trying to do this offseason. I think you know the lineup's a little bit better, but they didn't address a lot of the problems they had last year with the defense. They still have some bullpen issues. I like their rotation. I like Chris Sale a lot. I like uh, Jose Quintana's probably one of the most underrated pitchers in the league. Yes. And I like Carlos Rodon, who's a, who's a rookie, a former number one overall pick. There's not a lot of depth there, and I think that ultimately will cost them. Yeah, and Max, you look at their rotation. Chris Sale, he's getting older. He's going on to 27, and how much time can they keep him until they ended up maybe trading him? There's been lots of reports that he may be moving next season with some contract issues. What do you think? Yeah, there's been some trade talk swirling around him for like the last year or two, and um, it wouldn't surprise me to see him build, but it, you know it, the White Sox seem like they're trying to build towards contention. So you would think 
they'd want to hang on to a guy like that if they are trying to contend. Now, if they switch gears all of a sudden and say, well, this isn't working, we're going to rebuild and try it again, then I could see them, because they'll get a very nice haul for him. They can get a couple really top prospects for him, I, I, you know, I think. But they just got Todd Frazier, who's only under contract, I think, for another two years. It seems like they're trying to build towards being a contender. And so you want to hang on to a guy like Chris Sale and, and maybe uh, thought, you know, have Carlos Rodon learn from him a little bit while he's uh, coming up to the big league. We're going to flip over to the Minnesota Twins, who didn't really make any moves in the offseason except for adding a, a Japanese first base in Bungho Park, who uh, looks like a nice addition. He's pretty much known for his bat flips in the Japanese league and looks okay. I really like what they're doing, and I want you to kind of elaborate on this one, Max, how they're kind of developing players and bringing them up internally through the system. Yeah, I think they've done a good young team. I think they may be kind of the most exciting team to watch. Yeah. Not because they'll win a lot of games, but because they have two of the best young rookies in the game. And Miguel Sano, who's a huge slugger, I think he's going to play first base. Um, and then they also have center fielder Byron Buxton, yeah. who's kind of a five-tool guy that can do it all. Uh, those two guys both are dynamic prospects. That Sano has already looked really good. Buxton struggled a little bit, and he's a little younger. And so it may take him some time to get his feet wet. But both of those guys, I mean, are cornerstone guys that you're, you're going to want to build your team yeah. around. And they'll be exciting guys to watch for next year. Uh, the problem is, you know, they've got some other good pieces like uh, Trevor Plouffe and Brian Dozier. And, of course, Joe Maurer's still there, but he's not. He's kind of a shell of his former self. So, But, you know, the problem is the pitching. The pitching just isn't quite there. They've got some guys in the minors that look like they could be good in the next year or two. And um, I think they're playing, you know, you said they had a quiet offseason. I think their plan is to have these guys kind of develop and not panic, not make any big moves right now. But let these guys develop. Let them learn how to play baseball and how to win together. It's kind of like the Royals a couple of years ago. You know, they had Aaron Cosmer and Mike Moustakas and Lorenzo Cain all come up together, and they all kind of learned together. And eventually, that ended up, you know, reaping them a, a couple of pennants in a World Championship. So I think the Twins are kind of following that model of success and hoping that these guys, Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano, and maybe Brian Dozier. Uh, will kind of lead them to a pennant in a couple of years. But they're probably a year or two away. They're not uh, quite there yet. Yeah, absolutely. And um, now I want to go to the starting rotation with the Twins before we go. And uh, Irvin Santana is their ace, followed by Phil Hughes, Kyle Gibson, Ricky Nolasco, and Tommy Malone. Uh, the way I feel about this, and then we'll, we'll hear your two cents, is that uh, you know the Twins are going to kind of fall off the charts, and then they move one of those guys and call up some of their prospects and see what they can do. What do you think? I think there's a possibility. The problem is they've got so much money sunk in those guys. So I think Irvin Santana, Phil Hughes, and Ricky Nolasco are all making each over $10 million next year. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, and these are guys that they're kind of underwhelming choices out there. I mean, not, they're not aces that you give typically give $10 million to. So they've all been bad contracts for the Twins so far. I think Phil Hughes had one good year with the Twins and then kind of regressed last year. The young arms and the miners force their hand and get them to get them up to the major league level. Uh, but you know those, like I said, those those big contracts are going to be hard to move. So it could be it could be that they're stuck with guys like Irvin Santana and Ricky Nolasco for the time being. Yeah, Max, uh, couldn't agree anymore. Um, and you know that pretty much does it for the AL Central. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, joining me on the phone all the way from Kansas City. And you can uh, read his slog here on the Royals Review. Uh, which is an affiliation site of SB Nation. Uh, great post, great stuff. If you want to learn pretty much a lot more about baseball, you got to go check them out. And Max, thanks a lot. Thank you.
welcome back to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 1079 Ottawa's new music. I am now joined on the phone with former minor league baseball pro Mike Kasavich. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, very happy to have you on. And uh, Mike, to start off, uh, what was your first reaction when you got drafted by the Rockies in uh, 1996? Uh, I was in shock. I mean, I thought it might happen, but you're never sure on draft day. So when uh, word came that I was picked up, uh, I was ecstatic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you got drafted out of high school. Did you have any offers in, into college? Yep. Uh, I had actually signed a letter of intent with the University of Houston, so I was actually uh, ready to go there. Well, actually, I was talking with Houston at the time. I only signed my letter of intent a little bit after the draft, but uh, I was speaking to schools at that time, so uh, I kind of had a couple options going into the draft. Yeah, and you were also ranked uh, Colorado's number nine prospect in the system. How did that feel, and what was it like? Did it really change anything in your mind? Uh, you know, it's nice to be recognized, especially by the organization that owns your rights, uh, that they think uh, that highly of you. But really, at the end of the day, you still got to go out on the field and put up numbers. It's nice to be recognized in that fashion, but it doesn't mean a whole lot, to be honest. But uh, right after that, you ha- you suffered a good injury, and... And if anyone looks you up, you were pretty much a dominant pitcher uh, in that season. What happened? Uh, basically, you know, I went through the season. I didn't have a great year. And then uh, I went to Arizona Fall League. I had felt some pain during the season. Uh, There's no question it happened during the season. But then uh, I kind of tried to push through it and then went to Arizona Fall League. And I ended up blowing it out there. So uh, November 2nd, 1998, I ended up having my shoulder redone. So I had my rotator cuff was... yeah. Uh, basically fixed, and my labrum was fixed as well. And you had to switch to pitching submarine. Uh, how hard of a transition was that? Uh, that happened later in my career. I mean, I continued to throw overhand, uh, and then it wasn't until I was in AAA with the Red Sox when a former Montreal Expo, Chris Haney, okay. uh, came with us, actually. And he had dropped down sidearm when he was in Japan, and he came back throwing sidearm, and my career was kind of stalled at that point. So we had talked a little bit, and I started trying it there, and when I got sent back down to AA, they put me in the bullpen, and kind of writing is on the wall at that point. So unless you can show them uh, that you have value to the organization still, they're going to release yeah. you. So I started throwing sidearm, and that actually bought me uh, a few more years and bought me a few uh, a few tournaments in Canada being able to do that. Yeah, and Mike, um, I forget the whole story, but you said you were in AAA with, was it Trenton? No, uh, Tennessee. Uh, no, I was in double, that's double A for the Jays. Okay. So I was there, uh, you know, I was... Super happy to get picked up by the Jays. Uh, I was taken off the 40-man roster of the Minnesota Twins and claimed by the Toronto Blue Jays yeah, in the year 2000. So then I spent uh, the year in AA there. Uh, we had a great team. Unfortunately, uh, there were some issues uh, within the team uh, with chemistry, what have you, between the manager, players, and all that stuff. And even my own attitude wasn't the greatest come the end of the season. I was getting quite angry at a lot of the stuff that was going on. And uh, it didn't help my situation there, so I ended up getting traded the following spring yeah. uh, to the Red Sox, and kind of it was a bit of a wake-up call, and my attitude certainly changed there, and I decided, you know what, uh, life's too short. I am playing ball for a living, so I uh, try to make the most out of it. And that's kind of I feel like uh, was a big change, not only for my professional life, but my personal life as well. Talk about being signed by the Oakland Athletics. Um, you were kind of part of that Moneyball theory uh, with Billy Bean, you know, played in AAA with the Athletics. Uh, talk to me about that and why they picked you up. Uh, basically, from what I understand, they never even saw me throw a ball. Uh, you know, they're big on analytics and all those things. So uh, they ran numbers and they were just trying to take the best players that they could 
uh, as free agents. So I had solid numbers throughout my minor league career. So when they ran names and they were looking for a left-handed pitcher, my name came up. Yeah. Uh, and then again, uh, they actually picked me up to be a starting pitcher. They had no idea that I started throwing submarine, uh, but they were the same thing. They said, uh, "Look, unless something you change something, uh, he, we're going to let you go." So one of my old pitching coaches from the Blue Jays was now at the Athletics. His name was Craig Lefferts, okay. old left-handed pitcher from the Padres. He helped me out, uh, kind of working through learning how to throw sidearm, and they decided to keep me. So I ended up going to AAA with uh, Oakland and winning the Pacific Coast League Championship out there in 2003. So in the 04 games in Athens, what was that like getting the call to play your, pretty much your home country? Uh, I mean, it's incredible. Uh, to be able to represent your country at any time is amazing, but to do it uh, in the Olympics on the international stage, you know, in front of millions and millions of people on TV too, is, uh, it was quite an honor. So, Mike, you had a chance to play with Team Canada in the 2008 World Cup and against the Taiwan national team at home. Uh, in Taiwan, um, some things went down that day. You want to have a talk about that? Yeah, I mean it was it was a fun game to be a part of. Probably uh, you know top one or two, yeah, probably top two games in my memory. Anyway, of just the whole team aspect of it, uh, and even being able to be a part of it coming in and finishing out the game as a closer. Uh, we yeah. just it was a tough game, very back and forth. They were winning, we were winning type thing, and then there was uh, an incident where Jimmy Van Ostrin ran their <laughs> catcher. The catcher got up, kind of getting the crowd pumped up, holding the ball high, which was fine. Uh, yeah, you're an you old know. school guy, so. <laughs> yeah, well, then uh, it just so happened their right fielder ran across uh, the pitcher's mound and either threw the rosin bag or the ball towards our dugout. Uh, he picked up the ball over the rosin bag anyway and threw it at our dugout, and that kind of sparked things. And bench is clear. There are no punches thrown, but a lot of you know shouting back and forth. But I, I do find that was kind of the spark that we needed uh, to kind of get back into the game because I think we were down at that point by one or two. So they kind of woke us up that way, and you know we all kind of came together and we ended up winning the game in, I believe, 10 or 11 innings. they got to go back and check. But it was uh, quite an amazing thing. Again, there's over 20,000 in the stands. Uh, throwing bottles at us. And and it was just a kind of a great memory, you know, one of those yeah. things you think back and think, wow, that was crazy, and just how much fun it was, especially to pull it off. Yeah, and a lot of listeners out there will probably think, you know, bench-clearing brawls are, are, are kind of fun, but in my opinion, I think that they're probably the worst fights out of all sports, whether it's hockey, football, because you never know, you get a punch in the head from behind, you're not even looking. Yeah, no, nobody likes a brawl. I mean, I've been a part of a few of them, and they are scary. I certainly yeah. uh, I don't like fighting, period, let alone when you're, you know, 24 on 24. And you're right, you have no idea where someone's Coaches. coming from, cheap shot, yeah. So you just kind of jump on the pile and you hope for the best. All right, and now we're going to move to the independent league. Okay, so, and you also had a chance to play with uh, Edmonton. in the, So you played a, quite a couple of years in the independent league and uh, also in the Can-Am League. I uh, had a chance to talk with Sebastian Boucher, and he mentioned that the Can-Am League is becoming more and more popular and more and more scouts are coming to visit and scouting players in that league. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, it's a great place. It's a great opportunity for kids who didn't get drafted for whatever reason. Some guys are just overlooked. Some guys uh, might need a little bit more polishing on their game, and this is a great place to do it. I mean, people underestimate how good the actual baseball is. Uh, they think it's kind of like... Um, you know, basically, they think it's a glorified men's league, and it's certainly far from it. These guys are yeah. out of college. There's ex-pros. There's ex-major leaguers there. So uh, it, it is actually very good baseball, and I do think it is underrated. 
Okay, uh, one notable major leaguer that did come out of there, well, actually a couple, there's Max Scherzer, uh, Daniel Nava for the Rays, and then there's also a big one last year that came out of the Can-Am League is Chris Colabella. You, you said, you mentioned a couple years ago that you had a chance to play against him. He actually hit 336 coming out of the Can-Am League, so definitely some good players there. Yeah, and there's a guy, like you said, was overlooked for whatever reason. May not be the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, but the guy can just play baseball. You know, he, he'd be one of those guys that... Uh, you know the money ball philosophy would yeah. certainly look at, and he, you know, he's obviously showing what you know guys who play in the independent league can do. I mean, the guy can just hit; it doesn't matter where he's playing; he hits everywhere. So uh, he'd be, a, you know, a shining example of what can come out of the Can Am League. Mike, I really appreciate you joining uh, me here on Around the Diamond, and I look forward to uh, having you on the show once again. And obviously, we're going to feature your special Ask the Expert segment. So uh, I'm excited about that. All right, sounds good. It is now time for Ask the Experts on CKDJ 107.9, home of the Ottawa Champions. Welcome back to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9, Ottawa's new music. Once again, joined on the phone with Mike Kasavage for our special segment called Ask the Experts. And a lot of people out there think that the minor leagues is a nice treat. You get paid good money. The hotels are nice. The buses are great. Coaches are awesome. Mike you you, tr- you played in the minor leagues for multiple years. Explain how it is, really. Uh, you know what? Minor leagues are fun, but uh, it's certainly not what everybody thinks. Uh, I, you know, I like to tell my students uh, kind of the stories about how it does actually work. Yeah. Uh, and it basically comes down to this: a lot of bus rides, uh, cheap motels, and a poor salary. But it's uh, it's a great time when you're out there, and uh, it's something obviously I would never uh, trade. And uh, another thing is, is that, you know, the money isn't as good, but they would only give you $10 a day uh, to survive and, and get food. And you and some of the players would even be uh, waking up super early to get that free breakfast in the morning. That's right. A lot of players, you know, and uh, if hotels do offer, you know, your free continental breakfast, guys would get up early, set their alarm, run down, grab some food before they put it away and go back to bed. Um, when I started, it was, uh, I believe it was $12 a day. Wow. Meal, meal money on the road. So, I mean... You are making a salary, but keep in mind, my salary in my first season, uh, and people are shocked when they hear it, but was $327 every two weeks after tax. Wow. So, I mean, that $12 uh, comes in handy, but you do have to find a way to uh, stretch your dollar. The Taco Bell value menu is one way. A lot of chicken (laughs) tacos for $0.69. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you do find ways to get around it. A lot of peanut butter and jelly and stuff like that. Yeah, you It has gotten a little better. Uh, when I left, it was twenty dollars a day. Wow! Which again is still not that much when you think about eating out three meals a day as a professional athlete. You no. know, you got a six foot two, two hundred pound male trying to live on twenty dollars a day. You can do it, but you're not eating like a king by any means. Yeah, and you know, I would expect that they would give you healthy food, stuff that would kind of help you train better. But eating Taco Bell doesn't really help, especially when you're training to be a professional athlete. No, but you do what you can. I mean, even a chicken soft taco is not that bad. 
you know, uh, you don't eat a greasy burger three times a day, but no. you do try to find some alternatives. And like I said, peanut butter and jelly, you throw in some bananas. It's not a bad, not a bad meal. You know, when you're at home, obviously, you can stretch your dollar a little bit more that way, too, and just make sure you're eating at home and making your own meals, saving money there. And uh, also, sticking with the pay here, Mike, um, a lot of people think that you get paid for a full year, but I think you mentioned that you only get paid for a full season. Uh, Mike, do you want to go through that? That's right. So you basically, when you report to minor league spring training, you go down around March, and the season starts beginning of April. Uh, and you only get paid April through the end of August. So, I mean, you're looking at a five-month window where you're making that money. So you do not get paid in the winter time. So, uh, you know, if you're not in the playoffs come September, you don't have any more money. Wow. Uh, you know, we're not major leaguers. If a major leaguer is making a million dollars, well, that's not a problem to stretch that through a year. But, you know, uh, when you're making, say, you know, $1,200 a month even, the money's not too bad when you're playing – you know, when you're trying to live in that situation. But when you're coming home in the offseason, you definitely have to find work to support yourself. Yeah, and Mike, when you got drafted, did you end up getting a signing bonus? And if you did, where did you put that towards? Uh, yeah, got a signing bonus, lost half to the Canadian government. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know what, ended up buying a car. Oh. Uh, I remember a nice 1992 Acura Vigor. Nice. Great. Oh, loved it. little four-door. It was great. <laughs> But uh, And you know what? The rest of the money kind of went to helping me live for uh, last me about five years. You know, we talked about how little I was making during the my first couple of seasons. Well, that's how you survive. You use your signing bonus to help you live. Yeah, and you had a chance to get called up or put on the 40-man roster and called up uh, when they do the September call-ups. Uh, does the payment change when you, I guess, get the call? Uh, it would. So I never got a September call-up. So okay. it was, I was put on the 40-man roster. Uh, in the winter of 1998, spent the year there, never got the call-up. Uh, I was hurt the entire year I was on the roster, so I was put on the uh, long-term disability list. So uh, come that September, it would have changed. It would be prorated to whatever it is when you go up. At the time, I think it was about eight to 10000 a month. Okay. Uh, maybe a little bit more. So you do get a little bit of a bonus, of course. Yeah, you do. You get paid the minor major league minimum but you'd get that prorated. So whatever the major league minimum is at that time, you get paid You know, per day you're there. That's what you get. So obviously the baseball is fun down in the minor leagues, but uh, the lifestyle of it is not as good, and that's why you see most players um, kind of either retire when they get sent down from the majors to the minor leagues because it's not all fun and games. they got to support their family, of course. Well, that's right. You gotta pay. You gotta pay your bills. But when you're at that level, it's a little bit different. But okay. you know, that's why they say you see a lot of people. You know, if you're not making good money, usually you're out of the game by 21, 22. Okay. Uh, unless they see you going somewhere, it, it's a hard, it's a hard gig to keep going and not making any money, especially as you're starting to get older. Your friends are moving on with their lives. They're done university. They're done college. They have work. You know, and you come home in the winter time, and what do you have? Kind of nothing. You got to go find a part-time job. Wow. So you can leave and scrape out, you know, a living again for a few months. Uh, and again, it's definitely worth it. I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying there is a reality to it where at some point you have to look at it and say, okay, where am I in my life right now and what do I want moving forward? All right, Mike, thank you very much for coming on and uh, talking about the minor leagues. And uh, I think it's some useful information. And once again, I look forward to hearing from you again. Sounds good, Dante.
Welcome back to Around the Diamond on CKDJ 107.9, home of the Ottawa Champions. I am Diamond Dante, now joined on the phone with Mr. Craig Rickenback, who is the Ottawa Champions Marketing and Communications Director. Now, Craig, how are you doing today? I am very well. How are you, Dante? I'm doing very good as well. And Craig's last week's uh, Ottawa Champions press conference was the main topic of tonight's show. The Cuban national team will be playing the champions here in Ottawa at RCGT Park on June 17th and the 19th. Now, with this event, how is it important to baseball in Ottawa and the community itself? Well, it's really huge because I think it's the Can-Am League wasn't legitimate before, but I think this really puts a stamp on the league and on the, the Ottawa champions. The Cuban national team is a internationally respected team. They, they've finished second at the World Baseball Classic. They've won Olympic gold medals. They've won World Cup medals, World Championships. Like this is this is the elite level of international baseball. So to have them come and play our team in our city here is is huge. And I think tour the tourism sector is going to get behind that. The city's going to get behind that. And I think the fans are uh, really excited to see some really good baseball. Yeah, and with all with all of that aside, uh, the Auto Champions made two key signings last week. One of them being Andrew Worth and infielder Johnny Cole. What can you tell me about these two players? Uh, well, I just know what I've what I've heard in talking to their former organizations and and one of their managers actually I talked to Andrew Worth, former manager with the uh, Syracuse Salt Cats uh, of the New York Collegiate Baseball League. But uh, he's a guy. He's a relief pitcher, side armor. Uh, looks like he throws pretty hard, or you know has some has some good movement on his pitches. He struck out 30 batters in 16 and two thirds innings last year with the Concordia College Clippers. Uh, that's in the NCAA. So uh, you know he's a guy who's going to be called on to get some key outs in the bullpen. Um, you know our manager Hal Lanier said uh, he can throw hard. He's got a kind of a rubber arm and uh, lots of movement on his pitches. Uh, Cole, he's a rookie first baseman. You know, he's going to add some depth to this team. Uh, he's coming straight out of university. Got some power. He's very versatile, though. He can play the outfield as well. Switch hitter. And you know he's going to be a, a fan favorite here because uh, one of the reasons he first went to Palm Beach Atlantic University in 2011 was to play for uh, the late Gary Carter, who was, you know, as you know, a Montreal Expos yeah. legend. So mm-hmm. uh, he's got some uh, ties to uh, the Ottawa area in that respect. Just yesterday, some weird comments from Hall of Fame pitcher Goose Gossage. I don't really know what to say about that. He made some some weird comments about Jose Bautista. What's your whole thought process about this? Uh, well, without getting too explicit on it, uh, I, I think Goose is living in a time that ha- may have passed him by. I think uh, baseball has changed, and it's changing for the better. And I think you're seeing more personality uh, with some of these younger players, and I think that's what you want. I think uh, the old establishment, you know, was uh, come in, do your job, lunch bucket type uh, type mindset. You're trying to compete now with the NFL and the NBA, and you want to have guys that are entertainers. And you know, Bryce Harper came out and said it. He said the game's changing, and and I think it's great. I think what Jose Bautista has done. I think what Josh Donaldson's doing, Jose Fernandez, Jonas Cespedes, Bryce. You know they're 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 changing the game for the better, and my opinion on it is, if you're going to get mad at somebody for uh, hitting a home run and celebrating, maybe don't give up the home run. Yeah, strike them out instead, and then you can celebrate. 
Yeah, Craig, and you're speaking of personalities here, and one of those guys who has a little bit of personality but a bad attitude is Giordano Ventura, now that you make me think of that, uh, I think that's one guy that you don't want in the game, especially when you're throwing at people's heads. There's no place in the game for headhunting. Um, I think there's a difference between being aggressive and uh, sending a bit of a message and trying to hurt somebody. And uh, I won't say there's no place for Giordano Ventura in the game, but there's no place for that behavior in in today's games and absolutely craig and also you look at a guy like carlos gomez who did a couple bat flips that here and there and we saw brian mccann a couple years ago stop him at home plate and he was very upset after he spit on the bag a couple times and i think that's when you actually have a right to kind of get upset and take it a little farther than than what happened with bautista because bautista did no way in heck he, he didn't do that at all he didn't spit on any bags he just flipped the bat it was emotional and that's it that's all no, and I think, if I remember correctly, with Gomez's situation, I don't think it was all that close of a game. I, I don't think the stakes were as high as they were with Jose Bautista's. The, the main idea is that there's a time and a place, and, and I think it's all subject to, to the situation. Yesterday in the, uh, in the Grapefruit League, the Blue Jays and Yankees were playing, and Andy Burns hit a home run for the Blue Jays and flipped his bat a little bit. You know, that's not necessary. It's spring training. Get that out of here. But, you know, in in the heat of a playoff game, sure. It makes tons of sense. But, you know, when you flip the bat, you got to get your team all pumped up. And and I think that's really the key. You don't try to do it towards the pitcher. You're trying to do it to get your team all pumped up and and get the bats going a little bit, too. No, I don't think it's anything personal against the pitcher at all. It's, It's no slight. It's, you know, you're celebrating your accomplishment. I don't think there was any intention on Jose Bautista's part to uh, to stand up to, to to show up Sam Dyson. And like I said, if Sam Dyson didn't want that to happen, he should have struck him out. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure, Sam Dyson throws almost 100 miles an hour. He has excellent stuff. But finally, Craig, uh, with the recent contract situation with Bautista and Edward Encarnacion, uh, what's your thought process on the whole situation? Is the price white or will they walk? I mean, there, there's so much being said uh, from both sides or maybe not being said by both sides. We don't really know. One report comes out that says he wants five years and $150 million. Then a few days later, he comes out and says he's willing to negotiate, uh, that he thinks that number was leaked by the Blue Jays. Who knows? I, I can pretty much say with almost 100% certainty you're not going to see Bautista and Encarnacion together with the Blue Jays next year. Okay. You know, if 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 Bautista's willing to to move on his price, I think he's the guy they want to bring back. It, really, it's hard to say. Yeah, it is. It's really hard um, to say. I think I think they want to bring at least one of them back because, uh, from the fans' point of view, they're they're gonna they're gonna suffer from it if they don't. But again, you don't want to cripple your future by signing two guys in their mid thirties to multi year contracts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I actually went on the Fangraphs website and I found a contract where they think Bautista's value is at, and it's a six-year, $114 million contract. So in his first year, he will get $26 million for the first three years of his contract, and then he will go down to 18 then to $11 million. Do you think that's about right, Craig? Uh, I, I like the numbers. I think the term is a little long. I know it's it's not up to the team necessarily to determine the term. They both have to agree on it. But if I'm the Blue Jays, I don't think I want I want to guarantee Jose Bautista any more than four years. Okay. So in your opinion, what do you think he will get uh, in the open market if he doesn't sign with the Blue Jays? Will he get what the reports say? 
I don't think he's going to get 150 million, but I think he gets five years, and I'd say five years and at least 100 million. Yeah, makes sense. And Craig, that pretty much wraps it up here. Thank you very much for coming on around the diamond to talk about the Auto Champions and uh, the whole Blue Jays saga with Edwin Encarnacion and Jose Bautista. It was a real pleasure. All right, my my pleasure, and thanks for having me on. That was Craig Rickenback from the Ottawa Champions Marketing Director, and uh, thank you. I thank him a lot for coming on the show. It was a real pleasure, and we're going to wrap things up here. Oh, wait, what's this? We got a caller. Good evening, Around the Diamond. Uh, hey, guys. Wanted to congratulate you on uh, the show last week. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, you listened to the first episode. What'd you think? Oh, I thought it was a great episode, and... Uh, I think it's gonna, you guys are going to do a good job as it goes along. Now that you're on the phone, I'm going to ask you, what do you think about the Cuban national team coming to Ottawa and playing the Ottawa champions team? I think it's a great thing for Ottawa, seeing some uh, other talents from across the world like uh, like Cuba. And uh, I think it's going to be a great opportunity for the players too to experience some, some of those players too. We just also had a chat with Mike Kasavich, and he talked about the minor leagues, how it's not really as pretty as people think. What do you think about that if you were listening? probably agree with that too. I've read books from uh, the Dirk Hayers books, uh, the Bolton Gospels, and it doesn't sound like it's the best of places to go, and that's probably why people want, people want to make the uh, major league so hard. Just to kind of wrap things up here, Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion are having a little pro- uh, contract talks with the Blue Jays. Some problems here and there. Uh, I don't know if you've been following up with the situation. What do you think? Uh, I've been following the situation, and I think that Bautista... He's asking for way too much, and got to cut down his years and a lot of the salary that he wants. And I think that if he's going to stick with that, Jays are not going to sign him. As for Edwin, I think that he wants to stay in Toronto, and Jays are looking to keep him, and something might happen. All right, Gavin, that's all the time we have here. Thank you so much for calling and giving you giving us your two cents. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Dante. I appreciate it. It's, it's nice to know that we actually have people listening here to Around the Diamond. And, oh, what's going on? Another caller. Hold, give me two seconds. Good evening, Around the Diamond. Can you give me napkins to Subway? Damn. Hey, Mr. Diamond, how are you? I'm doing good yourself. What's your name? I'm Mike. Mike. Nice to meet you, brother. You've been listening to Around the Diamond lately? Sadly, yes, I have been. Sadly? Why is that? Well, it's just such a bad show. You're wrong about everything. Hey, listen, buddy. Hey, I don't appreciate you coming on my airwaves to talk bad about my show. Ever since the Jays got rid of Ricky Romero, they've been garbage. Okay, listen, buddy, you're taking this too far. Uh, I'm going to have to you're take you off. You're not taking this far enough. But, okay, sorry, brother, I'm going to have to take you off the air. No. Man, sometimes you got people listening, but at the end of the day, you have some jerks and you have some nice guys too, but that pretty much wraps it up for Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 107.9. I am Diamond Dante. Tune in next week. Mike Nellis will actually be here. He's uh, been hibernating in Nunavut and uh, wish him all the best once again. Uh, He's going to be coming back tomorrow evening, so that's Sunday night. We're going to have a couple exclusive interviews uh, working on Mr. Stubby Clap to come on the show, hoping he can make it, but You're listening to Around the Diamond here on CKDJ 1079, home of the Ottawa Champions. Tune in to Around the Diamond next Saturday for an intense look on your Ottawa Champions and everything baseball.